Hi everyone, it's Joachim Akren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In today's episode, I'm talking with Oskar Burman, who is the co-founder and CEO of Fast Travel Games, a VR game studio based out of Stockholm, Sweden. Oscar has a long career in gaming, all the way from the 90s, and recently he was the managing director of Rovio's Stockholm studio, the makers of Angry Birds 2. In this discussion, we talk about Oscar's learnings from building game studios, what he would do differently if he wouldn't go back in his career, and how people in gaming can manage expectations to improve their work. But before we go to this episode, here's a few words from our sponsors. Before we go on, I'd like to introduce today's sponsor, GameEye. One of the biggest challenges when making a multiplayer game is what do you do if your game gets a sudden surge of players? What happens when a streamer picks up your game and you get a few thousand, even a few million new players? It all comes down to your servers. There are three major problems that can happen if you get more players than you can handle. First, there's an issue of lag. The game will feel slow for some people to play, making it an unfair game. Second, you can run out of servers completely, leading to long queue times and frustrated players. Third, there's the cost. Even if you use a cloud solution, the costs are going to skyrocket if you're using too many servers. That's where GameEye comes in. They host your multiplayer games without a huge price tag, and they automatically spin up new sessions for you only when you need them. They do this by aggregating the world's best server infrastructure and making it all available through a simple API. By using GameMy, you can simply run your live ops knowing that they can spin up game sessions anywhere in the world and make sure that your players are always put in the best locations. You send them the information and GameMy will find you the best location. GameMy, bringing your players closer together. Check them out at GameEye.com. And don't forget to mention that Elite Game Developers sent you. Are you looking to promote your game with content creators? Maybe you've thought about it, but didn't have the time or budget to try it out. Now, with Matchmade Express campaigns, you can easily work with creators on sponsored YouTube videos for $500 per campaign. Matchmade scans a pool of 9.2 million creators to find you relevant fits. Your budget gets allocated to several creators and their content will go live in days instead of weeks. You don't need to worry about negotiating fees or handling the logistics of delivery. The result is authentic, creative content that drives genuine engagement. Head on over to matchmade.tv to try it out. And don't forget to mention that Elite Game Developers sent you. All right, we're live. Hi, Oscar. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, likewise. Like, there's so many things that we're going to be covering today about like 
gaming topics, studios, whatnot. So it's it's gonna be pretty interesting to go through all these things. Yeah, and it's great to be kind of connected this way. It feels like we've been we've been moving in the same circles in the industry yeah. for so many years, but we haven't really met as far as I can recall. Exactly. But, I mean, we, we we talked about this autumn, but but yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's funny how. Sometimes the Nordic starts so small, but it's also so big nowadays. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. There's there's more studios, more interesting people getting into industry, and yeah. But let's hear more about you. So, as a short summary of three minutes, can you tell me how you made your way into the game industry and to eventually found fast travel games? Yeah, three minutes. That's that's harsh. That's that's tricky <laughs> for it. For an old guy like me, I mean, yes. I've, I've, I've been tinkering with, with games and programming since I was a teenager. So that's how I got started into games. Uh, I mean, I, I, I started building my own games in basic, basically, back when I was a teenager and sold them on floppy disks to people all around Europe, weird enough. <laughs> but I was also part of the demo scene where I got to know a lot of people like interested in games and, and, and programming. And that's how we kind of formed the first company that I was involved in, which, which was one of the first game developers in Sweden called UDS, uh, Unique Development Studios. Probably the most famous game that we launched in the 90s was a game called Ignition for PC. It was quite big in the Nordics, but it, it didn't really make it over the pond to the US. But it made a okay in, in Europe as well. It's distributed by Virgin. So that was kind of the first job and how I got into games. But since then, I've been at companies like Avalon Studios. I've been at EA Dice. I've been at Rovio. And now I'm running uh, or heading up Fast Travel Games, a VR studio here in Stockholm. I want to touch base a bit on the early career that you had in gaming and talk about the highlights, the takeaways, the learnings. Like, are there things that you still think about today that really came up then that were like big learnings for you? I mean, looking back uh, at the career, I've, I've realized how important passion and interest in games is when you're working in this industry. There's, it's such a competitive industry. And if you're not really, really interested in playing a lot of games, you're not going to do a good job. I think that's, that's like, it's been kind of clear looking back with you know working with various people you, you see really that the people that shines usually are the people that really really cares about games do you do you, do you know what i'm saying yeah i'm, I'm totally I, I was just talking to a founder actually who was like struggling with hyper casual they're like why aren't these games working do we need to really like start looking at what everybody else is doing and i was like yes yeah. <laughs> it's yeah you cannot you cannot reinvent the wheel when everybody has already has the circle shape already in mind. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, totally. No, totally. exactly. And I mean, another thing they're speaking about people and team. I mean, you're never stronger than than the team you have. It's, it's also mm. so incredibly clear that you, you, you need to surround yourself with people that hopefully is, is better than you are. I mean, that, that really are the top talent and also enjoy working together and, and you know, have just have have fun at work you know both socially and but also working together and, and have a strong bond there and, and a strong trust it's it's incredibly important but i mean another thing is also that i've learned through the years is also like keep on shipping is it's it's good in an industry that is changing so fast i mean I, i've been working on games 
you know, at Avalanche, we worked five and a half years, I think, on Just Cause 2. We probably worked four or five years on Just Cause 1. I mean, these games turned out really, really well, but it's just such uh it's so dangerous to work for a long long time on a project and 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 especially if you if you kind of have a failed project and you have to to stop working on something and start working on something else it, it can be for some people in the industry it can be 10 years be, between their releases and yeah. and it, it is so important both as a company to keep shipping but also from an, as from an individual point of view to, to keep shipping keep learning keep seeing what works in the market today. And that's that's like a takeaway when we started Fast Travel Games that it was so important for us that we we were working quite fast since VR is kind of a new market as well. You need to just see what works and adapt. But, but I think that that goes for, for PC console and mobile as well. Like it, it, it's, it's really helpful if you can ship, keep, keep shipping. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the coolest thing about the blockchain gaming thing that is happening now is, is like they, mm -hmm. they're going through the same thing. Like they're, there's yeah. first version of those games might suck, but then they're learning. Yeah. The industry is growing there. There most likely is something there, but it's just going to take time. Similarly to whatever like platform to, to mature and to have, to know what works there. So, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's, it's easy for people in the industry to, to look down on some of those games and say, look, they, they don't look good. They don't play good. Uh, but it's it, like you say, it's a learning, learning, you know, process. And eventually you're going to get it right. Yeah, exactly. The, the one thing that I've been thinking about a lot is like the juniors that are coming into the industry. Like, of course, there's a lot of people coming from university, but there's also like transitioning people from other industries like in Helsinki I was just having lunch yesterday with somebody at Supercell we were talking about people from banking coming over to gaming I've had like like hiring success with people coming from banking have, have you what do you think about like nowadays versus like what it was previously for a game industry to bring people in no, I, I think it definitely can work or, or can be a fantastic match if they have the passion and want to go into games. I think the complementary skills that you could get from someone that has been working in banking or, you know, coming from, from another industry can be, can be fantastic. But I still mm. think they need to, to share that passion for creating great games that, yeah. you know, people want to play. That's, that's, that's so crucial. But I mean, another thing I think with, with like bringing in juniors uh, directly from school, for example, that's something I've been doing throughout my career in, in all the companies I've been working with. And I, I, I usually find that that works really good if you match them with senior talent. So you have that mix mm. of it, people with a lot of experience, you know, a little bit cynical and like, this is yeah. the way we've always done, done, done things. And then you have the juniors coming in with a fresh perspective like not afraid of trying like a different route, but also can learn from the seniors. I, I think that that usually works really, really well. And I'm sure it's it's the same in Finland. Here in Sweden, we have a lot of nowadays gaming schools where you learn like programming, design, art, and 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 that's that's it's great to team these people up with senior senior talent. And that's that's really true. Like the I think the the passion with these bankers is that when they finally get rid of the suit and they look so happy, I, I, I think that's yes. a really like 
good good sign already <laughs> yes yes then you know that they're they're in they're one of us <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. They're, they're in now yeah and they won't leave most likely either exactly yeah, exactly. yeah. hey, hey well, i want to talk to you about the the robio experience i think this is like it's like an amazing thing that you guys built in stockholm which was the the studio that built angry birds too so like getting to build that studio like how did that project start um how does one get to start a game studio, you know, in a new city with a in industry player, like a big company that's already established? Yeah, uh, I actually think I, I, we need to go one step back to explain that before Robio, I was at EA Dice and we were tasked with, with creating a free to play game out of Battlefield, uh, the Battlefield franchise. And this was like in, 2007 2008 so it was before the iphone it was before free to play has had had come to to the western world so we were looking at south korea where this model had popped up a few years earlier and, and were were really really successful so we were we were looking at them and trying to understand how can we bring this like new business model to the Western world and specifically to, to Battlefield. And that was, you know, it was an incredible <laughs> and very challenging experience. In the end, we launched the game called Battlefield Heroes, like a cartoon version of Battlefield, completely free to play. But, but I mean, back then there was nothing, you know, no payment methods. There were, there were no, uh, no analytics. We had to invent everything ourselves. And also there was a, a lot of political battles within EA trying them to understand you know, you can actually make money from 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 a game that you're giving away for free. But that was like how I learned free to play and how I got really, really interested in that business model. So when Rovio approached me, maybe it was 2012, 2013, there somewhere, I already had a bit of free to play experience uh, by, by working on, on Battlefield Heroes and they needed to go in the free to play direction because this was when, you know, Supercell had started to happen and you, you, you saw those early free-to-play successes on mobile. So that's that's why they wanted like me specifically, I think, because I had the previous free-to-play experience, but they wanted to move into Stockholm mostly because there was a lot of game development talent here and there wasn't a lot of competition. I think this was might have been even before King moved over to mobile. So, you know, there was really a different a different place. Right. Like, was that like what, what happened then? Like, how do you go from there to actually like kick it off? Yeah. I mean, I mean, so, so basically I was first on the ground and, and, and started to hire through my network. And that's how I always done when I started something new is like thinking through who I know and, and who's great to work with. And then we, we agreed with the team in Finland that we should, we should both try new stuff, so new IPs, but we should also be proving ourselves with with established stuff. So we 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 started actually with uh, creating updates for Angry Birds Seasons, which was a great way of just learning the IP and 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 like getting to know people in the company. We tried to do a lot of you know cross pollination uh, between the, the the different countries as well, like have moving people back and forth so they got to understand what Rovio was all about and yeah this was the everything was possible and the company was growing very 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 fast yep 
Yeah, that I, I think like that that like tryout for a new studio uh, where you can learn what the company, how the company operates as a whole, is really brilliant as a way. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was really fun. It was I remember those days very very fondly because it was yeah it was such a great spirit and and a, a great everyone was eager to. Yeah, just to share knowledge within the company. So that was great. But then we we started after we kind of proved ourselves with with some Angry Birds seasons updates. We 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 wanted to do something bigger. And and at that time, the teams over in Finland were pretty tired of building Angry Birds games because they had you know been been launching then you know the Angry Birds you know, the classic Angry Birds, Angry Birds Rio, Angry Birds Space, Angry Birds Seasons. So they wanted to move on to other stuff. So there was kind of a, a hole in, 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 you know, obviously the, the management wanted, wanted someone to, to take that flag on. And at the same time, we needed to adjust the, the kind of business model to free to play. So we started tinkering with, you know, ideas for how that could work. And at the same time, we also moved over to Unity because Unity, well, like, Angry Birds was built with their Rovio's own in-house engine. Uh, so there was a lot of, you know, a lot of change to the IP, so to say. So, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of challenges, but in the end, I, I think it turned out really, 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 really good. Yeah, definitely. Like then, like, I think Angry Birds 2 came out. It was sort of like the full-fledged big free-to-play game for mobile. But at first, but eventually, it, it was like the biggest moneymaker and still is for Robio. Can you, can you elaborate on those steps, the stages of the game, and what eventually led for you to find those keys to success with that game? Yeah, it was, it was challenging because Robio was really set up in a way to launch those big flagship titles, much like a, a traditional console PC, you know, publisher, like spending a lot of money on dumb marketing, so to say. And and that's, this was a different beast. And I think looking back, I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that went right and there's a lot of stuff that went wrong, like it always is. I think what really went right here is that we, we built a base that we could successfully iterate on as the game had launched. So, you know, moving to Unity helped that a lot. We had a lot of, of the free-to-play fundamentals right, so we could iterate over the coming months and years. So I think the team did a fantastic job of, like, deepening the gameplay, add more things, uh, like learning from the player behaviors on how to take the game forward. But it was the challenge to get Rovio understand that, you know, we will get this right eventually. But... It, it might not be right at launch, but there was a lot of scared people right when it launched because, you know, is this really going to fly? Because it's not making the money that we thought it would, you know, early on there. It was a learning yeah. experience for, for the whole company. Yeah, because that's one of the big questions. Like, you need to build some expectations of the game going out, going live. And then how do you communicate that it's actually a, like there's a lot of work after launch still to be done that it's such a you know you do a launch it's not it's not going to be ready then it's just going to continue exactly. this is like very common for i think empires and puzzles like from small giant was that kind of an example as well big games yeah. but then you know 6 months maybe 12 months after launch it starts to work 
Exactly, and I think that's something that you often miss in a way, and it, and it's it's a lot down to managing expectations. Like, this is the first launch of the games, but we have several launches. Like we have launches all the time. That's going to change how the game operates, regardless if it's you know execs in a in in a big company or if it's you know shareholders or owners in in a startup. You need to prepare them on what the journey ahead and what the measurement of success is and i think that's that's one area where where i probably could have done a better job at rovio trying to get everyone aligned with what is this launch about and what is going to happen after three months and after six months but i mean yeah this way these were the, the very early days of free to play for everyone so it's hard to be too harsh on yourself but i mean looking back now you, you realize how, how much you're learning from launch to like six months after launch and 12 months after launch. And I think that's something that studios today are much better at, like, you know, just, just managing expectations with people. Yeah. Like just thinking about like my experience with big mobile free to play titles, when you're approaching a, a project that is big and you're seeing that it's tough to keep things rolling and actually hit the, the dates that you want would you rather like cut scope would you rather add people something else what are your thoughts about big projects i mean that's that's super tough to answer i think it's 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 so different in every case i mean you have sometimes you're working on projects that just can't slip in a way like when we worked on the battlefield games at ea those couldn't slip like that you were throwing bodies at the problem there just to make them launch in time because they had to go out for Christmas. But then you've been at other companies where you can, you know, you have a more loose release window and you can actually think more cleverly around it. Personally, I'd rather not like just throw people at the problem, but rather keep a sensible team that can work for a little bit longer because that usually is better bang for the buck, so to say. But, yeah. but I think it's, yeah, every project is different. It's, it's so hard to, to make a, a, like a, an answer that could, could be the mother of all answers to that question. Definitely. Let's talk about the learnings from this experience. If you would do the whole Rovio Stockholm project again or something similar, uh, what would you do differently? Yeah, that's a, that's a tricky question. One thing looking back is probably the thing I talked about before about managing expectations for a free-to-play launch. That's that's one thing I think you, you learn a lot by doing these launches. But I think another area is probably when hiring, we hired a lot of people from the like console AAA kind of production space. And some of these people had a hard time moving into mobile uh, and free to play and making them understand what is what great looks like in that world compared to the to the console pc world that's that's another area where you need to look at people one extra time and see if are they a good fit for this for their sake as well so because some people really aren't triggered by by the mobile free to play world but i mean yeah overall i'm i'm really proud of what we did uh, at Rovio Stockholm uh, and, and in a very tight time frame as well. I mean, we built Angry Birds 2 in one and a half, two years. So that was pretty fast. And that's awesome. Yeah. Moving on to, to the next thing, I really want to talk about your startup, Fast Travel Games. You set off to start your own company. What was this kind of inception point? Why did it make sense to found a new company? Was it more about you know, having the independence, the right team becoming available or 
some other motivation to do it. No, I mean, the, the startup journey was one part of it for me. I really wanted to have my own studio at least once in my life for so many people over the years. So I felt like, you know, I have to do it now or I will never do it, basically. And then I, I was talking to Eric and Christopher, my co-founders. Eric is the creative director and Christopher is the technical director. And, and we, we all three we had so much fun like just talking about you know this company we could build and I had worked with, with both of them before so so I had a great trust in them and it felt like we we are a great founding team in that sense so that that obviously also helped to know that you have kind of at least the founders set for the company and then for us the, the, the timing was right I've, I've been wanting to do VR since I was basically a teenager and saw Lawnmover Man, you know, the, the movie oh, yes. where they actually are in <laughs> VR. And I've been like, when that's happening with computers, I want to be there. You know, I, I was like, I was already then thinking about that. And, and so, so, so when, when this moment came, I, I, I just, you know, this was a per perfect, uh, perfect area to, to found that company in within and, and, and VR in 2016 was obviously quite hyped. So we, we were able to find funding as well for the company. Yeah, I think the the whole industry of VR is moving so fast now. I think everybody just was so bummed out about it coming down, all the hype coming down like a few years ago. But it's like now it's looking better than ever, really. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it, it took longer than I hoped for to, to get where we are today but i'm really glad that we now are here today and it's actually yeah. you know really taking off so uh, mm. so yeah it's 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 great yeah yeah like can you because I, i wanted to ask you a bit about the co-founders like you you and eric and christopher like can you share what was your approach to getting the co-founders together did you like spend time together You knew each other, but did you do any kind of work together, like sitting down, talking about what kind of company you want to build, like values, inspiration from books, stuff like that? No, yeah, of, of course, we spent a lot of times when when we when we discussed, you know, getting going with this. But I mean, Christopher, I had worked with a lot during the battlefield days, so so I knew he was, you know, a fantastic technical leader uh, in a comp in any company eric and i hadn't worked that much we worked a little bit but but so eric and i spent a bit more time talking about you know the creative processes and and like what what angles should we have for the games that we start with and yes we also talked a bit of values but that early on i think we we also felt that we shared a coming common ground in 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 how we had worked in the past so some of that was already N not outspoken, but 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 felt like we we knew where we had each other, and I think that that's that's like part of you know such an important part of this journey for me It has been the trust that we've had in each other that we I, I fully trust them you know to do what they say they're gonna do and, and and trust is such an important part of any organization and it's something that you earn over time but you can never take it for granted and it's it's yeah it's so such a crucial crucial part of of this was it like did you build games together already like as a group was that something that was already like figured out like how people are going to be doing that creative process and everything like... um we started with we actually didn't start to build any games until we had set the company up uh, because yeah. they were still working at 
at EADICE, and they we didn't want any you know any misunderstanding on on you know if 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 a game was created when they were working there or not. So, so we didn't do anything until they got off that job, and 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 we actually started working together. Also because we knew we wanted to to build the company regardless of what game we were going to do. Like this is mm. this is a multi-project you know company. I think it's it's pretty dangerous with some teams that are they form just to build a specific game and if that game doesn't work then kind of the purpose is lost but if you if, yeah. if you form a company to build multiple games and and you enjoy working together you have a much stronger foundation yeah that that one game failing and losing the company purpose like that's yes yeah i've seen that happen <laughs> it's it's not pretty no <laughs> yeah from the perspective of looking at the platform VR, you got started in 2016 when things looked really good and then the challenges happened with the platform. How did you manage to actually stick with VR through all these years and not actually think about the pivot there? Yeah, I mean, it was challenging. I, I think the years 2017, 2018 was pretty rough in terms that the market didn't, didn't really materialize as we thought it would. PlayStation VR did okay for us, like the games that we launched there, but PC didn't really take off very fast and and the, and the Quest didn't exist back then. So that was rough. And we we were you know, thinking of concepts that were not VR and thinking about pivoting the company. But in the end, we, we stayed on course, much also because the, the, the angels and the VCs believed in us and said, like, you, were, you started the company to build for VR, you know, Take it, you know, take it all the way. Even if you fail, you should take it all the way because this is this is where your passion is. And and I'm pretty grateful for that now that they helped us sort our thoughts in a way and, and making us realize what we were we were actually wanting. So we stayed on course. And then obviously the quest came and, and, and like this new wave of v- VR where we are today. And I'm really glad we stayed on course. But yeah, it was a gamble in a way. But sometimes you just have to look in your heart. What is it that you want to what that you want to do? Yeah. You're in that moment where the market isn't there, but you're sticking with it because you believe it will come eventually that day when it is uh yeah. commer- commercially viable. Like, did you discuss like, okay, we're gonna be, you know, doing this for several years before we might see success? How do we take advantage of all of these years in a way that the company becomes even stronger (laughs) like have you had those kind of thoughts about building the learnings and everything the strength no yeah absolutely that was part of it like just to continue learning and and making sure that when the market is happening we are in a very good position but also to to survive i think we also used our network a lot and try to get even closer to the platform holders so they saw the stuff that we were building and and you know because they they obviously have been funding selected you know games and tech stuff throughout the years so i think working close with the platforms was also really helpful in terms of actually financing those those tough years thinking about the vr future where do you think the the business of vr games is going like is the are the, the business models evolving, the audience growth, the form factor of VR headsets? How's that evolving? What do you think is going to happen in the next four to five years? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we're still really, really early in this journey. It's, it's still 
pretty far from from mainstream even though it's it's way more mainstream now than it was a couple of years ago but i mean we can see that there's a lot of investments going on facebook or meta as they're called now they are investing a lot of money into into vr sony is investing a lot into vr and others as well so so i think we will see we'll see a lot of new hardware coming over the next couple of years and and obviously you know hardware is going to continue to evolve become lighter and cheaper I mean, if you look back on what's happened in those five years, it's quite incredible. You know, we've we've cut the cord <laughs> to the to, to the PC, and we're now completely uh, like free to move around as you want to. The the just just the comfort factor is so much better today than it was back then. Like the the nauseousness is also much much better, and 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 how you can work with the, both the hardware and the software to to get people more 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 happy in their experiences. And then we, there's so much more content on the platforms today. So, you know, back then there was a, a lot of the chicken and egg problem where there, there, there wasn't enough content. So people didn't want to buy the, buy the hardware. Uh, and, and when they didn't buy the hardware, no one wanted to create content. Now there is a lot of content that, that's great in VR. So, so I think a lot is going to happen in the next couple of, couple of years. But I mean, we, we've seen a couple of million sellers already in VR, but we're going to see games that sell 10 to 20 million units in the next four to five years. I'm completely convinced over that because the, the, the market is in such a nice growth pattern right now. One thing that we're doing as well is that we, we just announced that we are not only building like the internal games we're building here, we're also going to act as a publisher for for external game teams. So that's something that I'm really uh, you know excited about now that you know to, to go out and, and talk to developers uh, and invest in the, you know passion projects and the games that they they are working on and then help them bring those games to market with the with the marketing and PR team that we've built up here internally i think that 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 can be a pretty nice space to be in in the next couple of years as the market grows right now you know there's almost no other publishers looking at the vr space so so in a way it's a it's a blue ocean, even though it's a kind of a blue pond today, it could be a blue ocean in, in the future. So, so that's why we're kind of investing there as well. Do you see the models that have been coming up in mobile publishing coming over to VR, like this kind of quick development KPIs, let's double down if numbers look good. The same way of creating success like all this like user acquisition whatnot like or are we are we more or less replicating the the pc premium experience i think uh, the vr play patterns is closer to the pc console space it's kind of appointment based you know that tonight i'm going to spend half an hour or an hour or three hours in vr much like i'm thinking about playing that game on my on my playstation 5 so it's more it's more similar to, to, to those type of experiences, but much like a lot of the mobile free-to-play learnings are moving into the PC console space, I think the equal is gonna move into the VR space. So we, we, there's almost no proper free-to-play games in VR today. I mean, there's some early signs of it, but, but they're not very common. 
And, and obviously, as the market matures and the market grows, I think we're going to see uh, free-to-play games working pretty well in VR. And I also think we're going to see other, you know, just features and tactics coming from, from the mobile space that's going to work in VR. So yes, some, some pieces I definitely think is going to get there, but maybe a closer analogy will be the PC console space. So looking forward to this space grow, to have more, <laughs> more, pla- more gaming platforms, the better. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Before we go to the final questions, I want to ask if you just look back at your gaming career, what was the most surprising thing? What do you wish you'd known when you started early in your career? Any, anything come up there? No, it's, I, I'm just, you know, grateful and surprised I work with games at, at all, because when I was young, it, it wasn't really a job. You know, I yeah. never thought you can make a living out of it. But when I grew up, I wanted to be a Lego set designer. That was like my dream job. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of Lego when I was a kid. Uh, still do. But I mean, it's, it's just surprising how much the industry has grown. And it's it's just amazing to to see all the companies producing games today. It's uh, it's sometimes you're almost overwhelmed over how much content it is to to consume. And I, I, I just wish I had more time sometime. But yeah, also looking back, I, I kind of wish I'd started my own company earlier. I really enjoy, you know, uh, leading a studio in this way and, and being kind of in charge of your own success, even though it's challenging, it's also so, so rewarding to, to actually being able to take the hard decisions yourself and not just waiting for someone above you to, to take them for you. I, I really, I really enjoy that. So looking back, yeah, it would have been fun to, to start my own company earlier, but Hey, I was more experienced now when I, when I did it. So yeah, that, that probably helped. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's never too early, but it's also never too late. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah, exactly. Exactly like yeah. that. Yeah. Hey, final questions for you, Oscar. What is your favorite book and why? Yeah, that one is tough. I mean, I, I read a lot of books. So it's, uh, this, there's so many books that has been, you know, great over the years that you, that you read and, and some books are really meant for a certain period of your life in a way but but if i had to 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 choose some i think you know sci-fi has always been important from for me and and like the early books that i read in my teens like you know the arthur c clark books the isaac asimov's books the foundation made a huge huge impact on me and and as did you know rendezvous with with rama by clark those are really like sci-fi classics uh, but if I were to choose like a more modern sci-fi book, I would probably ask everyone to, to read like The Three-Body Problem. And by, it's, a, it's a fantastic book with, with a very grand viewpoint, much like the foundation, spanning over hundreds of years and bringing up some very cool technical concepts as well. So it's, it's, and it's not often you get to read a book that's written uh, by a Chinese writer so you get a very different viewpoint on the whole sci-fi you know universe yeah i need to check it out this has come up several times already on the podcast okay <laughs> yeah. cool. do you have a story that has shaped you in how you approach your work today it's so hard it's it's like when you're you're asking in an employment interview you know a d- defining moment of your life i i, I always found those uh, those questions really really hard but but i think 
I've seen the ebb and flow of the industry over decades, and and in in a way, it it makes you think a lot about the risks. You know, I've I've been through you know years of where the industry really didn't was booming like it was now, and and we you know you you have to cut down, you have to let people go, you have to really find your way of making things work and and i think that makes you a bit more humble in for you know for 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 the challenges that could lie ahead so yeah it, it makes you look look at risks and and keep on your toes a little bit i think that's something that i i encourage other people that are running studios to do is like look a lot at not only like the the grand upside and what what if that happens what if that positive ha thing happens or what if that positive thing happens but also look at what happens if that very negative thing happens or if that happens how will we make sure that the company is still around mitigation plans are really really important even though they're quite boring sometimes to think of it's a very very important part of your job as a startup really good like healthy shit, paranoia shit, shit can happen yeah exactly yeah, yeah exactly Hey, last question for you, Oscar. If if there's people in the audience who want to get in contact with you, what's the, the best way for them to reach you? Either on Twitter, uh, at Oscar Buman, Oscar with a K, um, or drop me a mail at oscar.burman at fasttravelgames.com. This was so great, Oscar. So many topics. I think we could have like covered even more stuff. There's so <laughs> much to, to talk. Yeah. Let's let's maybe talk again at some point about this. Yeah, thanks. It's been it's it's been great, and it's it's always nice to talk with other entrepreneurs and founders about these things because yeah, you always like get different perspectives. I love it. Yeah, it is great. Hey, take care, man, and I'll see you around hopefully soon. You too. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks. Bye bye. bye. If you like our content please hit follow or subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is available. And in the meantime, please go and check out our website at EliteGameDevelopers.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter on what's happening in gaming startups. See you next time, guys. Bye-bye.